0: Just give me a minute. You get to my age, you've got many things in your ears, you begin to fall out. And then with wearing a mask and having this contraption around your, your ears, it sort of way gets... Claire did warn me, but of course, being a man, uh, I know better than women, or so I think. So, here we go. Thanks very much, Kyle. Um, Let me give you uh, an update of what it is uh, to be uh, the president of our association. It it is a real pleasure uh, to have this opportunity to fellowship with you this morning as we gather to worship uh, our God and to uh, bring you gospel greetings in the name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ on behalf of uh, the Association of Baptist Churches uh, in Ireland. Carrick Fergus, Baptist Church, has been and is a valued member of our family of churches. And we do thank you for all that you have been doing in the past, and God willing, what we hope to do together in the future. Being president is an honorary role, one I, I never thought I would be asked to do. And it is seven months since I became president, and it can be quite busy. As I have found out, I have to chair uh, association council meetings, one that took place yesterday, um, the monthly uh, executive and corporate uh, corporate uh, meetings, attend subcommittee meetings, visit churches and fellowships, be a sounding board when, when asked, be involved in special events like uh, the induction of pastors. Uh, going along to the constitution of new churches such as bell turbot down in county kevin and marlon and i will be going to the cork area for a week or uh, for a week in two weeks time uh, to visit some of the established churches and the recently planted uh, church passage baptist church and endeavor endeavor to be an encouragement to them it is a busy year, but it's a real privilege uh, to be involved in the, the gospel work uh, that we're doing together as an Association of Baptist Churches uh, in Ireland. It's also a joy to work with Dave Ramsey. Um, I know he might be a wee bit embarrassed now. Um, he did tell me to mention this. No, he actually didn't. But it is, it is a joy uh, to work with Dave Ramsey our association director, and one doesn't realize how how busy Dave is and how many balls that he has to keep in the air until you get the opportunity to walk alongside him for a couple of years. So I commend him to you as a church and your prayers. And on behalf of our association of churches throughout Ireland, I want to thank him for all that he does on our behalf. And, and I also want to thank his wife, Cara, and their girls, for supporting and sharing him patiently and allowing him the space to be our association director. I do want to wish you all God's richest blessing. And and as we begin this Christmas season, uh, to remember uh, what it is to be a believer in Christ, uh, that he would come, that he would leave the realms of heaven and come down to this earth Feel himself in human flesh as a little baby, knowing that when he left the shores of heaven where he was worshipped and adored, that he would come to an earth to be despised and rejected, and finally nailed to a cross. But we praise the Lord that that wasn't the end. He is risen. He is seated at the right hand of God, and he's coming again, and he will take us home. So I do want to wish you all uh, God's richest blessing at this Advent season and to assure you of our ongoing prayerful interest. And I want to encourage you with the words of 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. If you have your Bible beside you, would you like to turn please to Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, and we're going to read 20 verses together, and I'm reading from the ESV. Mark chapter 4, reading from verse 1. And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, the Saviour went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it weathered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and there are And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the world's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit. Some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Thus reads God's Blessed Word. Well, let's pray before we we turn to it. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it's living. We thank you that it speaks into our lives in the 21st century. It it may be old, and yet it comes again this morning new to us, enabled by the Holy Spirit. And that is our desire, O God, that we we want to hear you speak to us through the preaching from your Word. Uh, We know it's a story that we, we... know so well we we probably learned it as uh, many of us learned it as children but father we we pray that you will open it up to us again this morning in a way that we've perhaps never understood or grasped before and and our prayer is that it will have an effect upon us we will understand it in our minds but we will also take it into our hearts and then by your grace we will live it out day by day We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Amen. Well, the picture we have here is of a a vast assembly of people sitting in a a great ark on the the rising shore. And they're, they're all facing Jesus, who was seated aboard the boat in rabbinical teaching posture as the sea gently lapped the shore. And as he surveyed this great multitude, he was aware not only of their diversity, but a whole range of understanding and hearing, uh, and that was taking place in front of him. Some were coming to faith, while others were hardening in their own belief. And from that day on, the tenure of Jesus' ministry changed. Beginning that very day, he taught in parables everyday stories that illustrate spiritual reality. Rather than openly proclaiming his message, he obscured the truth from those who had rejected it already. Genuine believers who hungered to understand found him eager to explain every detail. And those who hated the truth, well, they they didn't bother to ask. The parable which Jesus taught drew upon a a rich farming image with which they were all familiar with. A man with a seed bag tied to his waist, walking his field and casting the seed. And as he walked up and down the furrows, he would take a handful of seed and he he would broadcast it. And the seed would fall on four kinds of soil. Firstly, the wayside soil, verses 3 and 4. This was the hard-packed dirt of the road bordering the field. Palestine was covered with fields, no fences or walls surrounded the fields. The only boundaries were narrow paths. And the method of sowing by broadcasting caused some of the seed to fall onto the paths. The soil on the paths would be beaten down, packed down, uncultivated, never turned over or loosened. And the continual pounding of travellers' feet, along with the, the dry climate, would so compact the soil on these paths that they would be as hard as concrete. And any seed the farmer threw beyond the furrow and onto that hard surface could not penetrate into the ground. It would lie there until the hovering birds ate it and what they did not eat, Luke tells us in his gospel, was trampled underfoot. Thus the birds and the travelers obliterated the seed that landed on the wayside. Secondly, we have the the stony soil in verses 5 and 6. Now, stony soil did not refer to soil with stones in it. Any farmer uh, who cultivated a field would remove all the stones that he could. In Israel, however, strata of limestone rock runs throughout the land, and in places the rock bed just juts up so close to the surface that it only lies a few inches beneath the topsoil. As the seed fell on these shallow places and began to germinate, the descending roots would soon reach the rock, and have nowhere else to go. With the roots only able to probe deeper, the young plants would generate tremendous foliage, making them more spectacular than the surrounding crop. (coughs) But when the sun came out, those plants would be the first to die because their roots could not go deep for moisture. This part of the crop would shrivel to nothing long uh, before it would bear fruit. See if there's a glass of water here. Excuse me. <coughs> Thirdly, the thorny soil, verse 7. Well, on the surface, <coughs> this soil looked really good. It was deep, it was rich, it was tilled, and it was fertile. At the only time it looked uh, really clean and ready. The seed that landed there began to germinate. But the roots of the weeds hidden hidden under the surface also sprouted and decisively choked out the grain. Weeds that are native to an area always have an advantage over the cultivated crops. And the weeds are are where they flourish naturally. And the planted crop, well, it's a, a foreign element needing cultivation and care. If the weeds in their natural habitat get a foothold, well, they will dominate the ground. They grow faster. They send out their lives, which shade the plant crop from the sun. And their stronger roots also soak up all the moisture in the ground. In the end, the good plants are choked out. Fourthly, that brings us to the good soil, verse 8. And this soil is soft, unlike the hard wayside soil, it's deep, unlike the shallow ground, and it's clean, unlike the thorn-infested soil. And here, the seed bursts into life and and brings a tremendous harvest, some 30-fold, 60-fold and 100-fold. Now, on the face of it, the the story of the sower and the seed is, is very simple. The only clue that it has some deeper meaning is what Jesus says in verse 9. Who who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, if you can understand this, then heed its message. But who can understand it? The disciples must have realized that this simple story about planting and harvesting grain obscured some rich spiritual truth. And verse 10 records that they came to Jesus when he was alone and they asked him to explain the parable and he was willing to do so. I want you to note the bridge from the telling of the parable to the explanation of the parable in verses 11 and 12. And he said to them, "'To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them.'" Now, what did Christ's mysterious pronouncement mean? Well, the parallel account in Matthew chapter 13, verses 12 and 13, shed some light on it for us. For whoever has to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In in essence, Jesus was saying that the condition of one's heart determines, determines its reception of the truth. The Pharisees and the scribes had originally been given straightforward teaching, which they rejected, and thus they could ultimately lose the truth. It would be taken away from them. Those who receive the truth and act upon it will receive more. Those who reject the truth will ultimately lose the little bit that they have. And what a solemn reality that is. For those who sit under the teaching of God's word, week after week, and yet do not respond to it. Along with his followers, having made this sobering pronouncement, Jesus graciously explains the parable. And what he said can open your ears and hearts, and can open my ears and heart, too. But before we look at the four types of hearts, we need to consider for a few moments what the seed, the sower, and the soil mean in verse 14, the seed, the sower, the soil. Well the seed Jesus spoke of was not literal seed, but rather the word of God. We read that in verse 14, the sower sows the word. And this is the same as the message of the kingdom that we read about in Matthew's gospel. It is this seed, says the apostle Peter, that brings people to new birth. 1 Peter 1.23 For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. The Word of God is a life giving seed to be implanted in the very being of those who hear it and receive the message of salvation in Jesus Christ. By the enabling of the Holy Spirit, it is the sowed seed that God uses to save. Who then is this sower? Who sows his seed? Well, who had been teaching the crowds and healing the sick? Well, most obviously and immediately, it was Jesus himself. He had been declaring the message of the kingdom in word and deed all that day. He was, in fact, interpreting his own ministry. He was sowing the seed of God. He was spreading it all around, not neatly in set rows as with a modern seed drill, but widely as with a sweeping action of a sower of that time. The prototype of all sowers is, in fact, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the sower is a representation of anyone who plants the seed of the gospel of the Word of God. And if you are a Christian, then you too have been called to be a sower of gospel seed by your witness and work. The point of the parable is not that there is something wrong with the sower or his message, nor is there anything wrong with the seed, and nothing is fundamentally wrong with the composition of the soil either. The problem is the condition of the soil, and the soil illustrates the human heart. Verse 15 of our reading confirms this. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. The heart of the hearer is the spiritual equivalent of soil receiving a farmer's seed. Its essential makeup. All the soils in this parable are exactly the same. The dirt in and around the field is the same dirt, no matter uh, that it is hard, soft, shallow, or weedy. All the soils could receive the seed if they had been properly prepared. But the soil that is not properly prepared will never bear a crop. And it's the same with human hearts. You and I are all exactly the same in essence, but conditioned differently according to the influences that have been used to shape us into who and what we are. And this indeed is an important point in the spiritual lesson of this parable. A person's response to the Gospel depends primarily upon the preparation of his or her heart. A heart not properly prepared by the Holy Spirit will never bear spiritual fruit. But let's get to the heart of the parable. And that brings us firstly to the hard heart, as we find in 15. The soil by the the wayside pictures a hardened, unresponsive hearer. Here is the hard-hearted individual. They're unresponsive. They're unconcerned. They're inattentive. They're indifferent. They're negligent. Often he or she is a hostile individual. They want nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It just bounces off them. And Satan is pictured like birds hovering over the hardened soil, eager to pluck up the soil that the moment it lands. Luke 8 verse 12 makes the meaning indisputable that these are unsaved people. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Here the Lord warns that the human heart can be so pounded and beaten down with the traffic of sin that it becomes completely insensitive to the gospel. This is the heart that knows no repentance, no sorrow over sin, no guilt, and no concern for the things of God. It allows itself to be trampled by an endless procession of evil thoughts. Cherished sins and ungodly activities. It is careless, it is callous, it is indifferent, never broken up or softened by conviction or sorrow for doing wrong. Now, many people have hearts like that. You can shower them with seed, but it just lies there, it doesn't penetrate. And it doesn't stay very long before Satan comes and takes it away completely. And each time you try to witness to such a person, well, you you need to start again at the very beginning. Dry, hard soil on the edge of the field does not necessarily signify someone who is anti-religious. Some of the hardest individuals in the world to the gospel of Jesus Christ go to church because sin has so hardened their hearts they are utterly unproductive and unresponsive to God and they're very close to the truth (laughs) they're very close to the good soil and they receive handfuls of seed over and over and over again and if this This ground, if this wayside heart, if this hard heart is going to receive seed, it needs to be broken up. And it's not an impossibility. Often the plowing that God uses to break such a hard heart is pain. Some stress or trial that softens that hardened heart sometimes a pandemic, to bring the reality of death into a person's life. I think it was C.S. Lewis said that God uses the hardships of life, it's His megaphone, to awaken us to the reality of sin and death. So let's not give up on our gospel-hardened friends. Secondly, we come to the shallow heart, verses 16 and 17. This shallow soil pictures the response of the superficial and impetuous heart, the, the kind of heart that is enthusiastic but is, is at the same time shallow. And there's, there's a positive response. And it does not, unfortunately, represent saving faith. No thoughts involved, no counting of the cost. It's quick, it's emotional, it's euphoric, it's instant excitement without an understanding of the actual significance of discipleship, and this is not genuine faith. And the superficial response is epidemic in 21st century Christianity. Why? Because the gospel is usually presented with the promise of joy and warmth and fellowship and a good feeling. I remember being in a church and and speaking to the pastor after and asking him why he didn't read out of the Bible, why did he not mention sin, and why did he not mention repentance? And he said to me, well, you don't want to make people feel bad about themselves. And there's no hard demand to take up one's cross and to follow Christ. Converts are not confronted with the real issues of sin and repentance. Instead, they're encouraged to jump on the Jesus bandwagon for the good things that are promised. Come to Jesus and all your life's problems will be solved. And yet underneath this shallow layer of apparently fertile topsoil is an unyielding rock bed of rebellion and resistance to the things of God. There's no true repentance. There's there's no brokenness. There's there's no remorse. And the slab of defiance under the soft surface is really harder than the roadside soil. Have you ever met anyone who... Who said to you, I've tried Christianity and it just didn't work. And the eternal consequences are really tragic. And the initial enthusiasm is just mere emotion. And the the, Germany, the seed quickly dies when the cost of being a Christian becomes a reality. And these people are not actually saved. So please be on your guard against conversions that are all smiles and cheers with no sense of repentance or humility. That's the mark of a shallow heart. If a profession of faith in Christ does not grow out of a, a deep sense of lostness, if it's not accompanied by, this, by an inner conviction of sin, if it doesn't include a tremendous desire for the Lord to cleanse and purify and, 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 uh, and lead, if it, if it doesn't involve a, a willingness to deny oneself to, to sacrifice and to suffer for his sake, then it's without proper root. And it's only a matter of time before the flourishing growth weathers and dies. Thirdly, we come to the divided heart, verses 18 and 19. Weedy soil represents a heart preoccupied with worldly matters. A worldly man or woman is one who lives for the things of this world. They are consumed with the cares of this age. Their chief pursuit can be one of many things it can be a career, a a house, a car, a hobby, a a toned body, a wardrobe. Something other than God, anything other than God. Have you known people like that? For a while, they, they, they look just like the rest of the field. They, they come to church. They identify with the people of God. They even show signs of growth, but they, they really never bear spiritual fruit. They're uncommitted. They're always preoccupied with the world's pleasure, money, career, fame, fortune, or the lusts of the flesh. They say they are Christians, but they care nothing about living a pure life. And this is the response of thorn infested soil, the germinating seed that looks so good will ultimately be overwhelmed by the thorns of worldliness and eventually the thorny heart will show no evidence that good seed was ever sown. What happens when the seed that once looked so promising is choked out? Has such a person lost his or her salvation? Well, I don't believe so, for I believe they never had it. The Word of God fell on a heart that was preoccupied pi verse 19, with the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires of other things. This kind of heart wants Jesus on its own terms. The thorny heart at person is, it was never saved. It accepts Jesus as long as he doesn't interfere too much He's not at the top of the list. He's, he's way down here somewhere. They, they tick the religious box. The divided heart is like the heart of a girl to which a young man proposed. He said, darling, I, I want you to know that I, I love you more than anything else in the world. And I, I would just love you to marry me i'm not rich i I don't have a yacht or a rolls royce like johnny brown but but i love you with all my heart and she she looked at him and you knew that she was thinking for a minute and then she replied "Well, well i love you with all my heart too but tell me a little bit more about johnny brown A heart which is overcome with a love for riches and the the things of the world is, is not a believing heart. Listen to what Jesus said, and you know this as well as I do. In Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Many begin well, and it looks like they were believers. But as time goes on, the love of the world strangles all traces of Christianity from their lives. And, and it is so disappointing, and it's so discouraging at times. But that brings us finally to the fruitful heart, verse 20. Looking at the three bad soils that produce undesirable results might be discouraging. But isn't it great in this parable that there is still good soil, which illustrates the fruitful heart? And this is the climax of the parable, a promise to the discouraged staples that there's always good soil in the field. Lest they be shaken by the people's negative response, Jesus wants them to know that there is this huge field that is cultivated and is ready to receive the seed, and it will bear abundant fruit. And you are the evidence of that. The seed of God's Word does not bounce off the surface of this heart. It does not momentarily flourish only to shrivel under adversity. It's not divided by its competing desires and then strangle. It's a heart that allows God's Word to take deep root in it and it produces first a harvest of character galatians 5:22 and 23 but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long-suffering kindness gentleness faithfulness goodness self-control against such there is no law and then secondly it produces a harvest of good works Ephesians 2:10 for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prefer- prepared beforehand that we should walk in them indeed fruit is the ultimate test of salvation if there's no fruit there's no salvation It reminds me that day when Jesus is out. He's looking a fig. He goes to this tree, and there's lots of leaves. But when he moves the leaves back, there is no fruit. Notice that not all the good ground is equally productive here. Some bear quantities of a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. Not not every Christian and. We all have to admit this. Not every Christian will always bear as much fruit as he or she ought to or could. But everyone is fruitful to a certain degree. Christians are sometimes disobedient, and of course, they still sin. But ultimately, believers are identified by their fruit, whether it's 30 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold. The spiritual fruit of true believers sets them apart from the the hard dirt of the road or the uselessness of a thorny uh, patch. The fruit is multiplied and abundant, not something that you have to to scrounge around, you know, at the fig tree, moving all the leaves to be totally disappointed then to see absolutely nothing. They stand out clearly from the the rocky, the, the thorny, and the barren earth. Now, here's where the the rubber hits the road this morning in Carrick, Fergus Baptist Church. I ask you, Christian, what kind of harvest would Jesus find in your life today? My, that's a question, isn't it? And the challenge to those who are not Christians is this. What kind of hearer are you? What kind of soil are you? You know, don't you, what your real attitude to God's Word and God's Son is. Whatever people see, whatever impression you might give, you know deep down inside whether you love Jesus and you thirst for growth in His grace day by day. Or whether like the the bad soil hears or you're just preoccupied with other things. You're you're ticking the religious box. Jesus is calling you to repentance, to faith, to new life, and afterwards to bear fruit for the glory of his name. I do pray that God has used his word this morning to challenge and yet to encourage us. And to bless us. Let's pray. For, Father, the desire of all our hearts this morning, those of us who know and love you, is that we would bear more fruit. That you would be everything to us in every single way. That you would be first and last and in between. Every single thing that we would do on a daily basis would be For Jesus. And for those, O God, who don't know where they stand, I I pray that you might be preparing the ground of their heart today to receive the word by the Spirit of God. And that they would come to that realization there is this great need that they have, and that is to be saved from their sins and to live for Jesus. So, Father, bless your word. Use it by the power of your spirit for the glory of your name, for the the good of our souls, and for the salvation of sinners. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.